This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Okay, John Vronman. Wow, this is so cool. I asked Hal if he had any suggestions, and he strongly suggested Front Row Dad, John, who wrote the book Front Row Factor, and turns out like right soon enough when I connect with him, he's sending me video messages inviting me for polar plunging in the evening. I'm like, who's this guy? Whoa, this guy's breaking normal. And I'm like, man, I'm just going to go ahead and get to know him out publicly. I, the intuition's strong enough. Let's get to know this guy out loud. And it turns out we have a lot in common. It was definitely the feeling of meeting a brother from another mother, someone that maybe had climbed up similar mountains but through different paths and comparing notes in a celebratory way. So cool. So I trust you'll, yeah, I, I trust you, whoever's listening to this, will be inspired to start to getting to know other people out loud in a public setting. Like if, you, if you're intrigued by someone in the coffee shop, whether it's a girl you want to hit on or a guy you want to get to know or whoever it is, a mother that's inspiring you or a father that looks like he could need your support or an employee that looks like they could use a, an affirmation, give it to them. Give yourself the freedom to share what you care about the most, what, regardless of who's watching. And I think John's an expert at this. Um, I think we got to share a real genuine connection. And, whoa, if anyone's a father or a mother or a daughter or a son for that much, I have a feeling this is going to be a, a convicting listen, and it's going to strike a lot of curiosity. And... Mm, feels good. Thank you, Hal, for the introduction. And I trust y'all are enjoying your morning walk while listening to this podcast faster than regular speed because you're doing the Breaking Normal Miracle Morning Ritual and you're following along for the 12 Days of Christmas gifts, the gifts that are in there on the BreakingNormal.com, uh, the podcast section of that website. Some fun stuff. I trust that strikes your mystery enough to take some action, inspired action, and look into it now. And I trust this podcast is going to serve you. And I would love, if I'm going to ask for anything in return, is a review. Simply a review on the, because uh, not only does that qualify you to win a potential free Tribe Design ticket to either Hawaii, Costa Rica, or Austin, Texas, but it also alchemizes the algorithm so more people can start breaking normal and break the addiction to approval and start aiming for authenticity instead to realize that success maybe is a moving target and the best way to get there is to authentically share what's happening for us individually so that we can truly team up with each other whether we agree with each other or not come on tribe design breaking normal here we go let's go john bang bang that's a strange noise so I'm excited to be here with John Bronman. Yeah. And you you reside here currently in Austin, Texas, although it sounds and it seems like you've explored the map quite extensively yourself. A good bit, man. This was the spot, though, after it all, you know, after all the journeys were done and my wife and I needed to settle down, this was it. Awesome. Did I give this a clap? I don't think so. Let's give it a clap just to make it easier on our sound engineer. Boo! <laughs> and for ourselves, it feels good to clap. It feels good to clap. Let's talk about that front row dad. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. I saw. I visited some elephants earlier today. Uh, front row dads. And I want to say, I, John and I are meeting for the first time this evening about 44, no, about an hour ago. And I, um, it, I, I felt like intuitively that 
John and I are going to connect for some reason. It's as we were riding similar waves, but in different parts of the world. So it's almost like meeting a cold water surfer somewhere else. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> we're good. Let's, so I'm excited to get to know you beyond what my intuition draws to you, draws me to you. In addition, one of the things that I think we're intuitively aligned, when I was writing Breaking Normal or speaking Breaking Normal, more like yeah. it, I was really, that epiphany kept coming to me that, well, this is how I would interpret it. Like the front row is usually open. Hmm. Like the front row is open. Like why is the front row sometimes more open than the other rows? And how valuable is it to be in the front row? I've, I've, I've always felt very drawn. Mm-hmm to this front row metaphor and now Hal <laughs> tells me there's this guy that I definitely want to meet that has a company and a brand called Front Row Dads and I think I see it on your yeah. front row and I, from my understanding of a book Front Row Factor yep. and I looked at that right before you got here and it looks like it's just a little more of an elder than my book like published a few months before mine which is cool there's that so I'm excited for that as well we have that in common um, what is the front row factor and what is front row dads mean to you? Oh man, this is, uh, you just asked a keynote speaker one question, which is, uh, you're, you're going to be able to, I'm going to tap out in 50 minutes from here and podcast over. I'll be good at, um, <laughs> yeah, I hear that. And like, and let's do it. And I, I have a, a, an app where we ask the biggest questions. So breaking normal app, we ask the biggest questions we can and give the people 30 seconds to answer it. That's so good. And uh, yeah, so what I'll, I would I'm I'm asking big questions and ex- and expecting quick answers, and I also appreciate whatever answer you give it's me. The best, yeah, yeah. I go, I'll go, I'll zoom out, and then you tell me where you want to zoom in. But yeah, the, I think what's important to set it all up is the front row concept hit me um, back in 2005. I was at a Jason Mraz concert. I was in the back, and I was looking down in the front, and I had. At this this thought of there were a group of g- girls in the front row at Jason Mraz and they were having the time of their life and I recognized that this was the same moment in time but but people in the room were having drastically different experiences like the guy in the back looked like he wanted to be anywhere other than there and the girls up front looked like they wanted to be nowhere other than where they were and to me that was a fascinating idea and I just thought how many times I gone through life looking uh, at people in the front row and wishing I had stepped up, wishing I had gotten close to the things that lit me up, wishing that uh, I was cheering somebody on, you know, and not worrying about somebody else judging me and how I was being in the moment. So that's where it all began. And then ultimately, we started a charity from that called Front Row Foundation. And Front Row Foundation helps kids and adults who have a life-threatening illness to go see the event of their dreams from the front row. And we just did that because we wanted to help. It was just a side project. It was fun. That turned into a 13-year journey, and a couple years ago, we decided to write a book about everything we were learning about living life from people fighting for it. And so I wrote the book, and I was traveling around. I was speaking about you know, uh, what it meant to live a front row life and how to be a, a moment maker, how to show up for people. And so without getting into all that, all, you know, I have two boys, a nine-year-old and a four-year-old, and I was on the road 150 days out of the year, constantly speaking, you know, 40 to 50 gigs. And I said, uh, I'm not being a really great dad. And I just recognized that fact. And I got a couple of my buddies together for a couple days to talk about being a better husband, father, and family man. And at the end of that, I realized that was actually why I was stumbling onto my new purpose. And that's how we ended up where we are now. So I wanted to create a group of men that wanted to be family men with businesses and not businessmen with families. Wow. I'm stoked. I'm stoked on this. (laughs) And you. And man... So did by the way, you... I don't know whether my ego feels good to hear that or like there's like a genuinely in my heart or if I'm like 
And like, what's the difference? And what's the difference? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, sent, I seem to think my ego at times is not guiding me correctly. It's like this, this false self that's appreciating it that needs validation. Um, and, but interestingly, my friend, Dr. Kelly Flanagan would say there's really not a difference of the two, your false self and your true self. And that I like that I to like recognize it. that they're both there and they, they serve you at times is good. I like that. And Dr. Kelly, Hey, Hey, Dr. Kelly. He's amazing. <laughs> this guy came to our retreat in the keys that we had a couple weeks ago. And he talked about some stuff the guys were just, they were floored by things they'd never heard before. You know, awesome. It. it was great. Man, so there's so many different directions to <laughs> yeah, take this. All right, so there for is. Front Row Factor, was that a brand? Were you calling it that before you became a dad? No, so Front Row Foundation, it started when I met my wife, and my life was just, I was, I was moving from an executive to an entrepreneur. So I took a leap of faith. I had kind of achieved my dream job and then looked around and said there must be more. Um, and what was the dream job that you achieved at this point? I was, a, I was a promotions manager where I literally, my job was to create incentives for salespeople and then to reward them with the prizes. So I traveled all around the world, took people on big trips, um, payoff trips to Vegas and Argentina and Italy. And it, it was, my job was to reward people. Do you happen to know Grant and or Adam Mills? No. Okay. I have a couple other friends that I think we're in a very similar, seemingly yeah. amazing niche. Yeah. And y'all have a lot, y'all have a similar vibe. And it might be because y'all have visited similar vibes. Yeah. Um. So that's amazing. That's also in, very fascinating to me. And continue if you were. Yeah. So I, this, I loved my job. I had worked to get to this place where I felt like I was really living the dream. And I genuinely was, except I was missing an element of purpose and meaning to the work that I was doing that um, just I, my actions weren't aligned with my core values completely. And when I found Front Row Foundation, I knew that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to spend more time there. And when I finally figured out that I could walk away from that corporate job and I could do Front Row Foundation as a charity, um, not to get paid for it, but to give to it, and then to create a keynote speaking business or a coaching business all around helping people live life in the front row, that's when I knew I was onto something. When everything works in harmony, when, you're, when, you're, when your mission, your profit, and your purpose uh, are all working together, that to me was, that was a big aha moment. Wow. And then- uh, And it wasn't an easy journey. <laughs> I don't want to mention this too, because I think this is part of it. It was that you know I had a solid income and I was having a great time. Uh, with my job, but when I jumped ship, I had no backup plan at zero. I, so I walked away with a hundred grand in cash, and uh, I spent it in a year. And then the next year, I went a hundred grand in credit card debt. And then the third year, I won a speaking award, and the business took off. But I was literally in one year, I had got, uh, I purchased a home, gotten married, had a baby on the way, quit my job, started a company, and w within you know basically two years, they were calling to foreclose on my house. But uh, I just was, I was adamant that it was going to work. And so it did. Yeah. Also, another wave we have in common. From my understanding, um, everything is energy. And from my understanding, energy comes in waves. Mm. And it seems like you're very aware of the waves that you're choosing to surf. Yeah. Rather than like unconsciously drifting. Yeah. And I can resonate. I can resonate so much with uh, especially the financial waves and 
also that's make and at a casino if there weren't financial when i go to a casino or i haven't gone to a casino in a while but when i went there if there weren't financial waves i don't think i would be going there yeah that there's something about yeah. surfing those waves on purpose sure. that are fun yeah definitely um, man so on that note, I'm curious, it sounds like you're in touch with the waves or the vibrations of your heart. Is there something that, where would, where, I, there are so many topics and I, I'm amazed because I'm, yeah, I love having so many topics to talk about and it seems like you do too, but is yeah. there one that resonates with you the most that you would want to explore more in a breaking normal fashion based on the, some of the things we have in common? Yeah. Well, I, I, first of all, I want to recognize you for, I think, being just an extraordinary dad. The thing I'm most drawn to right now is observing people who engage with their kids and their families in a way that they are breaking normal. And um, I think that's that the space that I'm in is because I didn't start Front Row Dads. This is the thing I'm excited about. I didn't start it because I'm a dad expert or a marriage expert. I started it because I needed help, <laughs> right? But I just, I was at a party one time and somebody had said, what do you do? And I started in with like speaking or the charity or something and I cut myself off and I I gave the answer that I actually always wanted to give, which is I'm a father and I'm a husband. And when I'm not doing that, I happen to do these other things on the side. And I walked away feeling like that felt good, but that actually wasn't true. My calendar didn't say that. And so I went home and I started thinking about how this was showing up in my life. I had a file on, uh, for everything on my computer, from the charity to the events that we were having coming up for, the, for my business, the, all this stuff, right? Tons of folders, but yet there wasn't one for my family. We had thought about the core values of our charity, but what were the core values of my family? And I just, I thought, what if I put the same amount of energy and attention into being a dad and a husband? I said it was family first, but it wasn't my reality. I'd read a hundred books on everything else, but not many books on parenting. And I, you know, I'll tell you, I've never been more proud of my life than I have in the last two years when I stepped up as a dad and a husband. Okay, I'm, I'm definitely down to go up that up that rabbit trail what what shifts were made and because i imagine there's gonna be a lot of fathers listening to this yeah and new fathers and yeah. and and um people that are not fathers yet but they remember a future of being an amazing one yeah so what are the common snares like so just as i was taking out someone surfing for the first time i would tell yeah. them certain things like well don't leave your board parallel to the waves at the minimum and if you fall off the board, make sure you hold the back of your head. Like, what are some common things to look out for as a dad and a future dad and just the easy way to make those quantum leaps right now? I think that's a great question. There are certain things that no doubt have um, been elevated in the group as big takeaways from the meetings that we have and the calls that we have. Uh, and I could just, uh, gosh, it's like where to begin with all <laughs> the great ideas that these guys have taken away. But I'll give you, I'll give you one as an example is that, um, I'll, and I'll speak for myself first, and then I'll share what some of the guys have experienced. So one for me is that I used to believe that as a provider for my family, that one of the things I wanted to do is to build this business and show my kids that I was passionate and be successful and pave the way. And I'm really good in the mornings. That's my best time. I'm, I'm most creative. I can work really hard in the mornings and build and create, right? So I would tell my wife, I'd say, I really need the morning time uh, to build and create for us because that's when I'm at my best. And now she's not at her best in the morning. She would actually rather sleep in. She, she's more of a night owl. And we would, there was tension around this because I would be like, I'm the provider for the family. 
I need you to get up and handle the kids because I've got to, that's my best hours of the day. But when I finally realized that what my real mission is to be a father and a husband first and a family man and a businessman second, I thought, why are my kids not getting the best hours of the day? Why, why is that not, why am I not thinking that ultimately my kids should get the best of me and not, as people have said, the rest of me? And so it's like that, that became my switch. All of a sudden, I went from having never taken my son to school for almost seven years of his life to taking him every single day in the morning. We listen to podcasts. We listen to audiobooks. Um, I wake up with my son, Ocean, who's four, and we usually just spend 30 to 45 minutes together just hanging out reading books, snuggling, whatever it is. And I'll tell you what, man, I, I feel like I've already won when I start my work day. And I don't know that I always felt like I was running and rushing to catch up. So, I mean, there's, for me, that's a, that was a huge breakthrough. It was a shift of attention, a shift of intention as a father. And also what I thought was actually going to be what was going to make me a great dad. Wow. So it almost sounds like you, it, it, I, it almost fits the narrative of someone that had a near death experience and, or an awakening. <laughs> and, yeah. and sometimes those are correlated 100%. and I'm not sure if that's the case for you, but, or some, you, usually there's some sort of like in that narrative, like this happened, like this rock bottom or this big dragon happened or whatever it is in yeah. different words. Um, and not that that has to be the case, Yeah. but I'm like, wow. And then you were telling me when you walked in, we're here at JP's house in Austin, Texas, and he saw JP's bookshelf. And this one was somehow set out uh, from Mark Nepo, the book of awake. I looked down when I was thinking this. I'm like, oh, the book of awakening. I'm like maybe. So I started going like maybe he just had an awakening and maybe it was maybe something to do with this book of awakening. I have no idea. Or maybe this was uh, an effect of that. And you were telling me that you used to what, – what was the ritual that you do with your family with oh, this book? Well, I would have my kids pick a random number, and then I would turn to that page in the book, and we'd read one of his poems. And we'd discuss it. We'd talk about it, and it was great. Yeah. And do you still do that currently? Or no, how? not with that book. And when did that arise in your life? Like, what are your memories around that? And, and also, was there an awakening or a, a reality check? that caused you to wake up yeah. to the reality of what's most important and taking massive action. On I feel like that. I've had lots of those. <laughs> yeah. I've had lots of those moments. And I'll tell you that, um, I feel privileged to be able to serve people who are facing the end of their life through the front row foundation, you know, and, uh, to this date we've, we've helped, you know, um, quite a few families and met quite a few individuals. And those individuals are people my age that I meet, that I realize one day life is normal. And the next day, um, things are not so normal, as you know very well, and 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 not uh, not in ways that they would have hoped. You know that uh, uh, our buddy Howe, who we were talking about not too long ago, right? He had, uh, you know, crushing it in life at, at every level, and all of a sudden wakes up, isn't feeling well, goes to the hospital, and within a week he's, you know, he's fighting for his life, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And so I, I certainly have had people close to me that um, knowing that life is fragile. You know, um, having my own personal experiences, having other people face that reality of, hey, we're one thing we all have in common. Everybody listening to the show is the ride ends for us at, at, for, at some point for everybody. We just don't know when. You know, I remember also, Daniel, uh, being on an airplane with a journal. Just I, I pulled it out and I, I put a little dot on the left. I remember I remember this so clearly. Oh, this is fat. I actually I, I haven't told this story in a very long time, but I put a little dot on the left said birth, on the right side it said death. Uh, and then I just drew a line across and I thought, well, let's just say a hundred years, right? And let's say 80 of them are awesome. Uh, where am I now? I was like 37. I'm 43 now. 
And I put a little dot there and I just looked at it and I thought, that's it. And I started thinking about how time is so finite, uh, at least in this world, right? And I started thinking about how uh, we have, uh, have uh, like in the summer, it was the summertime. And I thought, I have 16 weeks with my kids this summer, like 16 weeks, you know, for the summertime. Um, my buddy, Jim Shields, who wrote the family board meeting, he has a company called 18 Summers. And uh, I started thinking about that. I started thinking about the, how time is finite. And that, that piece of it really woke me up. And it didn't paralyze me, but it got me excited. It got me excited to not waste time. And I started recognizing the ability of being a moment maker. I started to see time differently. I started to see hope for the future and celebrating the past and living in the moment. And I saw it like this pendulum that was just kind of, you know, we're swinging through the present moment, but we're, we're kind of hopeful for what's coming next. And we're looking back. And um, I just, I felt like I was asleep. For a lot of it, I felt like I was on, I had gotten so good at being productive. I got so good at having habits to make things work that I really wasn't living the life anymore. I wasn't feeling my way through. It was all about the words and not the feels. <laughs> yeah, we are so resonant. It definitely sounds, it, it's more sounding like we, um, have you ever met someone that, like what's, what's been the most unique hike hike you've ever taken? Oh, that's it. I feel like that's, for me, that's an easy one. Um, my best friend, John, was getting married on the top of Half Dome in Yosemite. And I hiked up with he and his soon-to-be wife, and I officiated their wedding on the top of Half Dome. That was the best hike ever. So when you meet someone else has gone on that hike, do you, do you feel like that there's, oh, you can resonate yeah, with that person? Yeah. So I feel like we are taking similar hikes throughout our life, <laughs> yeah. life metaphorically. Yeah. And I can so resonate with so many of the things you're saying with the pendulum, all of it. It's really cool to meet you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. How when he, when he introduced us, he was like, dude, you're going to, you have to meet Daniel. And so I just... You know, I love those recommendations, man. I love when, when, uh, when connections are made. That being said, I would love, I love the idea of experiment, exploring with the idea of me picking a page of this book. Let's do it. And then you're going to read it and then we're going to talk about sure. it. Is that how it yeah, works? Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Or you can read it if and, you want. <laughs> well, you, how do you usually do it with your kids? You would read it? Well, I would, they were too young. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I would like to, for you to read it then yeah. if that's cool. Sure. Totally. And then, uh, Mark Nepo is someone that for sake of synchronicity that, uh, JP and I attended one of his live readings, and it may have been of this book. When was this book published? Like, holy mackerel. I wouldn't be surprised if it was this book. And he read uh, a couple of the poems in front of us, and I never had heard of Mark Nepo before, and it was definitely an awakening experience. So the book of awakening, having the life you want by being present to the life you have. So I'll pick a page here. Yeah, do it, <laughs> Here man. we go. Yeah. Go, man. <laughs> oh, man. There it was cool. Go. All right. So this is now. You, do you want page two forty two or two forty three? The first one I saw was the two forty, the top right. This okay, cracks cool. of light. Yeah, that yeah. one. Okay, cool. Just I have to admit. All right, awesome. Cracks of light. The human soul is to God. Oh, the human soul is to God is as the flower to the sun. It it opens and it and it its approach. Hold on, let me start over again. <laughs> All right, here we go. The human soul is to God, is as the flower to the sun. It opens at its approach and shuts when it withdraws. Benjamin, I don't know what, who, which, which cot? You know that name? I don't know who that is. Okay, so here's the poem. God, like the sun, emanates on all, on the hill exposed in the open, on the plant growing in the window, even on the weed 
getting cracks of light under the porch. The same source of spirit emanates on our different lives, regardless of our circumstances. Thus, our experience and perception of God in the world may be limited and different, may even change, but that doesn't define or limit the source. And though the sun appears to disappear every day, it is the earth that turns away, causing night. Likewise, when it appears that God is nowhere to be found, it is we, in the turmoil of our lives, who turn away, or are turned away, back again and again. But unlike weeds that grow under the porch, we can move back into the light. What did that mean to you, buddy? Man, so, well, it sounded very on brand to what we've been talking about yeah. with the pendulum. Yeah. And uh, even what we were talking about before this podcast of how much is it important to plan versus how much is to surrender to the flow. And uh, that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that balance once again. Uh, enjoying the tightrope, like walking the tightrope between um, control and chaos or masculine and feminine or maybe what some people describe as good and evil, maybe, or good and bad or right and wrong. Maybe these categories get pretty slippery and I can see how they're cracks They're Yeah. They're cracks of light, cracks of light, cracks of light, mm. man. Dude, I hear from that. So I hear, I hear choice. I, yeah. hear, I hear that we have this choice to move, you know, to turn our backs and move away and, and to move or to move towards, um, you know, what may be challenging us. I, I'll tell you on a personal note is relating to that particular poem, these cracks of light uh, is that when some, some way, a way that I have matured as a man through the front row dads and through my relationship with my wife is that I used to get angry and turn away. And now when I get angry, I'm faster to come back to her and just give her a hug and I've realized the time to let go with that hug is when she takes a big, deep breath. And if I come back to this space and I come back with peace and centeredness and I just give her a hug and I don't turn away, but I turn towards her, that oftentimes that's, that's the answer. And I feel like that's constantly a choice that we make. I can run and hide. And that's different than getting space. It's different than like taking a moment to breathe. But when I turn towards her, man, it's like... It, a game changer yep yep that that moment of choice and how much it matters and i so resonate with that example there's been so many times that i've actually caught myself getting energized from being angry at deanna yeah so i've been suspicious of that energy i'm like wow so there's an energy that comes with holding on to anger because there's a part of me that wants to surrender and and realize that I guess it ma I guess it matters for me. Sometimes I feel like I've used anger to the advantage of creativity or of clarity, almost as a drug. Yeah. And I can embody it rather than ex uh, projecting it. And I hear you. Sometimes I'm holding on to anger. I've I, in the past I've held on to anger longer than necessary. Yeah. And there is a humbling. There's a humbling effort to. Surrender into a hug and not turn away. Well, I don't know if this is the way for you, but I've recognized that I like to solve problems. And so sometimes I create them so that I can solve them. What's interesting is I remember this years ago when I was in my early 20s. I, I was a smoker. I was a heavy smoker. I was like in pool halls smoking cigarettes, right? This is my life, right? And 
I remember quitting smoking, getting a lot of praise for it. Like people were like, you quit smoking, like way to go, like that's awesome. And then once I had quit smoking, there was no more praise. It was just like, oh, well, he's just a non-smoker. So I would start again, and they're like, oh, you started again. And I'm like, yeah. And then when I would quit it, I would all of a sudden get praise again. I, I, I almost learned, I was conditioned that if I created a problem, I'd have something to solve and would get rewarded for solving the problem. And sometimes I think I do that in my relationship, where I almost create a problem so that we can solve it because I feel like that's actually like the strengthening of a relationship. If, in fact, if nothing's wrong, something's wrong. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm not saying I do that with intention. I, I just think there's a part of my being I need to be aware of that likes to solve problems. And like you said, sometimes even that, that angry energy is energy. It, it gets a rush, man. You can get addicted to the chemical release. And if you're not careful, you'll create that even unconsciously or subconsciously so that you have some problem to solve or so that you can make up. Yes. Uh, you said you, you distinguished subconscious versus ub- unconscious. Yeah. Uh, on purpose, it seemed. What, yeah, it, was there a, what's the difference? What does that mean uh, to you? Only what's because the, I've had people debate that point with me. Okay. And I, I'm not, I don't have, I don't, I'm not one. I, that's not a, that's not a debate that I'm will, like, I'm like, okay, subconscious, unconscious. Uh, yeah. Like, so I, I am curious that what is your opinion on that? Cause I am not looking for a debate as much as just like, Oh, what does he mean by that? Cause I have, uh, I'm, I don't know what that means exactly to other people. Yeah. For me. Um, and this isn't a well thought out definition where I've written it and journaled about it and have it hanging on my wall uh, that I'm articulating. But what I, if I'm going with a heart answer to that, what I believe is that this subconscious um, perhaps is this underlying conversation that we've had in our things that we've heard in the world, words, experiences that are playing a role in our lives uh, just below our conscious level, right? And so they exist in our, in our heads, in our hearts, and they guide us, um, they, they inform our decisions. Um, and uh, I think this unconscious piece um, perhaps is... Um, Perhaps the unconscious is 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 something that uh, we don't know what we don't know. That is an unconsciousness behind it. Um, you know, I've had somebody describe to me. There's like, what I know, what I know. Uh, I know what I don't know. I don't know how to speak Japanese. And then there's, I don't know what I don't know. And I think that our, that's how I see it in my in my head is like the subconscious is what I know that I've heard in my life that exists that's guiding. The unconscious is like, I don't have any idea why it's there, how it's there. You know, that, that to me is the unconscious. Yeah. I've had a very similar discussion with someone when I first started doing retreats with on honesty. Um, we were traveling through Europe and (laughs) there was definitely, uh, yeah, it was a trippy. It was a trippy experience. It was the first time I had smoked ganja when I was like 22 or 24 in Amsterdam, yeah. and he was using Adderall, and we had this breakthrough conversation on the road about what you just said, and I was having flashbacks to that. As that, what did you come to the? What was your? Oh, okay. Oh, my conclusion is that if there are things <laughs> that I don't know, that I don't know, how do I know anything? Because after you marinate on that, yeah, I'm just sitting with that one. Um, after you marinate on that, because there have been things in my life that once I learned something new, it completely changed the understanding of what I thought. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you actually learn things, um, or are things revealed? 
are, it, do you, does all the wisdom exist? And when you actually say, oh, I learned this, that ultimately then all you've done is shine a light on the wisdom that already existed within you and you gave it a name and you, and you, and you brought it into the conversation? Or do you think it's actually something that you're kind of imprinting into your being? Like a, like a recording, like the sound was outside of you and now it's with inside of you and that's, that's learning. Yeah, I like. I think the way he described that, I agree. <laughs> I agree that it's more of a remembering. Yeah. And then if I get more familiar with that, then I'll be able to recognize it. Yeah. So there might be things in this room right now that I'm not seeing because I've I've never recognized them before. Right. But once there's one time I can recognize them, then I'll be able to see them in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that's why I, I believe my personal belief about growth. We'd like to talk about growth as like um, learning something new. Right. And I think that oftentimes growth is remembering something true, that my biggest breakthroughs when I break normal, it's when I actually not take something in, but actually remember something true about myself. It's definitely the cracks of light in breaking normal. I'm loving the residence right now. Dude, I've got to tell you, we brought up Dr. Kelly. Now I know why we brought up Dr. Kelly earlier. He wrote a book called Lovable. So good. And at our retreat, at our front row dad's retreat, Um, somebody was asking a question that led to this metaphor. He said, uh, I believe that there's the false self and the true self. And the way it happens is that you're born with your true self. This is why my four-year-old son will run around naked and do the Macarena and not have a care in the world because there's just this true self, right? And then what happens is that about elementary school, you uh, uh, you, you, you hit something in your life that causes shame. You know, you do something wrong, somebody, you feel shame for the first time. And what you start to do with that shame is you start to build a wall. And the the metaphor is a castle that he uses. He says that what you do is you build that wall because what you're recognizing is that you have to defend yourself a little bit and that you actually have to create a front. You have to create an image to be able to be loved and liked and accepted. It's like when you wear, when you figure out that if you wear a brand of clothing, that people will like you more for that clothing. And that clothing is like a wall of a castle. And so you're inside this castle and, and uh, you build this wall. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, you recognize that you can not only protect yourself, but you can go on the offense with people and that you can attack in order to protect yourself. And he says, that's like putting cannons on your castle. And a lot of times in junior high and high school, we really learn how to do that. And we do that well, right? Where we, where we can attack people in order to keep them at bay so that they don't have to know who we really are. And then he said, what you do is you ultimately end up creating a throne. And that's your throne of righteousness. And that's where you find some success. You're great at sports. You're great at business. You build this throne. And then you get to sit on this throne of righteousness and tell everybody what to do. And he said, this is your, you're sitting in this castle. And because your false self wants to be so badly loved and fit in that you develop this in order to deal with the world, right? To deal with relationships. And at one time in your life or at one point in your life, you'll understand there's a drawbridge and you can then come out of your castle and be your real self. And he says, that's why um, that we have this false self that we also, he says, everybody has it and it's not meant to be condemned. And in fact, it's probably good that you have it because you're probably not going to walk into a party where you meet people for the first time and just lay everything out on the table. So we do use that castle to our advantage and, and to be, you know, to fit in with society. Um, and then, and then I, he shared this and everybody loved it. Everybody loved this metaphor because now, because I, I said to him, I said, I sometimes feel shame about the fact that I was so fake when I was a kid, right? That I, I didn't know who I was. And I actually have shame about that, that I, I would say or do things to fit in. And uh, 
and even as a dad feeling like, you know, this, this, uh, imposter syndrome at times, right. Feeling like, um, running this dad's group and yet behind the scenes, I'm falling apart so often and the, right. And so this was really big for our guys. And then all dude, I, a couple days ago, I went to this event and this guy said, kids are like, they go through this, this cycle, um, caterpillar or they go butterfly, caterpillar, or butterfly. That's life where they start as a butterfly and then they become a caterpillar and then they go back to the butterfly. And that's kind of the life cycle. That's true self, false self, true self. And so that's where, you know, well, maybe it has something to do with the why I invested Dude, there in the shirt right before <laughs> the experience here. And I, the way I, similar, once again, it's fun to meet someone for the first time and to realize that you, we have had so many similar realizations and yeah. experiences, maybe in the different time and space and maybe sometimes in the same. And yeah, I uh, relate it to my grandma who's birthday would have been like her 103rd birthday would probably have been like any day now um she lived to 100 and passed at three days after and then also seeing Davina being birthed that there is something close that when someone's the closest to birth and the closest to the transition known as death uh there is a similar resonance yeah very similar. It's a rawness. It's like a not, um, yeah, not, it's about authenticity rather than approval. And then it seems like uh, the aim is to get there in between, to stay there, like or not to get there 100%. or stay there or remember that or stay in that true, like the bigger source before it becomes cracks of light yeah. to just keep it a full luminous source. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, there was, uh, I think there was a metaphor that somehow uh, with the cracks of light, I'm curious how your um, experiences of how you've chosen to perceive the divine or God or the creator have gone and are going. <laughs> wow. That's a good one. <laughs> Where do we go with that? Um, I'm open, man. You know, I'm I'm so excited to explore that. Like I yeah, like can you tell me, can you teach me right now? <laughs> can you can you help me find that out what 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 that is for okay, me? Okay, and I'll say that I do think that there is a group think that I was under that I would have felt like tribally, socially, culturally obliged to tell you about like the Jesus Christ being your savior at the point of in the my past part um, if someone had told me what you just told me. So I want to give that, uh, um, I want to give that, dis I don't know if it's a disclaimer, but also like a kind of a perception into my, my contextual upbringing about around the creator. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think this is a subject that I want to explore more that I haven't yet explored at a level that I'd be, you know, proud to say I've dug in here, man, and done the work. I just haven't. And, you know, recognizing that uh, spirituality and faith is something that is needed, especially as a dad. This was brought up just recently in one of our dad chats about, uh, you know, I have thoughts on religion, you know, and, and I was always brought up Christian, you know, and I love religion for so many reasons. Now, and I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm standing in this, the, ho the lobby of a hotel. I'm talking with my two friends, Sim and Rachel, and they're Orthodox Jews. 
and they're telling me about their rituals. I'm asking questions. They're telling me. I'm just so curious, right? They say um, one of them is like uh, during a certain time of the month, they're not allowed to touch, physically touch, right? So they don't sleep in the same bed. They don't hold hands. They don't touch for this period of time. And I said to them, well, what's it like when you do? And they're like, it's awesome, right? And I thought, you know, there's something brilliant about removing things systematically, intentionally, so that we can learn to appreciate them again. And I learned about Sabbath, and I learned about that how they don't use electricity between, you know, sundown on Fridays, and you know, and and uh, and over the weekend they're, you know, they're they're all gathering together, and you know, I'm like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds like something I should do. Um, my big hang-up is when, uh, um, when it when I feel like the policies and the rhythms and the rituals and the traditions start to work against things that I value, like inclusion, acceptance, love. And I feel that, you know, like any organization, that happens. So I'm struggling to find a place to say, hey, do I just pick a religion so that I can give my kids some structure around this conversation? Or, um, or do I not? And say, I'm just, a, uh, I'm just constantly walking the path and saying, I want to learn from all religions. I want to recognize there's a lot that I don't know. And I want to recognize that connecting to something that's a higher power, a higher source is essential. That's, that's a, you know, I wish I had better answers there. And, and since you invited me to explore, I'm Please. happy to, especially under the context of being raised in a Christian, the creative constraint of a Christian culture yeah. versus all religions. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say even for Christianity, it's pretty explicit in the Bible that, um, the Bible is calling for someone to have a relationship with the spirit of the creator of the universe rather than making uh, about rules. Mm -hmm. And they even pointed it out with like the metaphor of pro uh, the prophecies and, you know, Jesus was, I guess, Jewish, but he was also killed by, uh, by was he killed by? Who, who, that's a good question. That's a good question who he was killed by. I've heard different stories. And then there, I don't think there was a, I don't think Jesus was a Christian. I think that that was created, a system was created, a model was created after the experience. Yeah. And that's continuously what's happening. There's new things happening on the earth all the time and people are wanting to name them, even hurricanes. We have all these names for hurricanes. And I think it's like a matter of people getting caught up. Like religion is a symptom of people getting uh, caught, like getting caught up with the menu rather than actually enjoying or experiencing the meal. And yeah, the meal, I think that's the mana. That's the mana. Um, and I don't think Jesus would get so caught up with the words as much as the feeling and the act. Well, this is, and let me ask you this. I've, people ask me all the time, what's your, what, do you have, are you, are you Christian? So and, I and got I, that. that was a recent thing I got. And then too. I would say, do you think I am? And they would say, oh, I don't just answer the like I'm just just answer the question. Like, are you, you know? And I said, Well, does do you think I am? And they would say, Yeah. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say yes. I'd say, okay. <laughs> and then I'd leave it at that. And the, the point was, I said, I really believe I think I act more Christian than some Christians that I know. 
And, uh, but it's really interesting how people get caught up on the label. Like if I were to say it, if I was to say I was Christian, then I would be in with them. But the fact that I wouldn't label it um, created tension I felt in the relationship. And that, and that may have, that may have been very real. And I think that's something that happens when I reference as a group think. I think some people are, are choosing Christian Christianity as a label of how they experience life spiritually and call it religion yeah. um, that are very free thinking. But there does seem to be that symptom, I would say, of the church group. That, that seems to be a significant question, uh, not only for friendship, but for marriage um, and for all kinds of other things. And that seems to be the symptom for a lot of, uh, like even sports fans, like, are you, or even like in the Northeast, like, are you from New Jersey or are you from New York? Yeah. Or are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? We talked about that, about cities, the identity <laughs> that people have around the cities they live in. Yeah, that's, yeah. And so that's also, you, you mentioned the hide and seek in the beginning or creating problems. Like, and as I watch Davina, she likes to spill things and create them. Yeah. And I think there's like an Alan Watts book called hide and seek, or that's a big metaphor that he uses. And I, yeah, yeah, I think, um, yeah, we're like kind of all of it. We're creating the set, and we're the producers, we're the directors, we're the actors, and I guess enjoying all those different facets uh, consciously rather than being mad about them accidentally seems to make the experience more enjoyable. Yeah, I feel like I want to subscribe to the the you know the spiritual practice of being curious. I feel yeah, like if good, I had to just like, now that we're talking about this, I'm defining it right now during the podcast interview. It's like, what part, how do I define it? It's, it's curiosity. You know, to me, that's really exciting, man, to, to that, have that conversation and explore it. Yeah. I'm texting my wife because I don't know if the dogs are scratching or what's going on, but <laughs> just to keep you, I'm, I'm still informed. I can, I can hold multiple <laughs> subjects at once. I'm like paying very close attention to what you're saying. Uh, I love it. See, I got to tell you this one thing though, just while we're talking about religion, um, one of the best dads I know, um, a man who lives locally, his name is Christian. And we were having a conversation about, uh, religion. And so he leads a church here locally and he's a really amazing guy. He's an amazing husband, amazing father. And one of the things he said to me is he said, uh, because we got real deep into this about why I have hangups about Christianity. And he wasn't trying to convince me that I needed to join his team, but we were just talking candidly. He said something I thought was so good. He said, he said, listen, he said, ultimately we bet our lives on something. And I thought that was so cool. He said, I just, I don't have a lot of the answers, but I know one thing. I know we, we ultimately bet our lives on something. And he says, this is just my bet. And I thought that was really good because it really got me thinking about the fact that ultimately is our choice. We're just betting our lives, these human lives on something, some belief, some choice. And ultimately, I suppose we'll all figure out what's next at some point. <laughs> I love that. Oh. Yeah, that sounds like C.S. Lewis from what I've heard, what I've read. Or is that right? Like, how I interpret C.S. Lewis is he was uh, someone that was so dialed into all, so many dimensions of yeah. thought, and he bet his life on Christianity. Yeah, and it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. Like, I, I understood it at a much deeper level when he said that. I thought that makes me feel so much more at peace with almost any decision I make. Is because I just, if I can consciously know that I'm, I'm betting my life on it, okay. I mean, it seems like a lot of responsibility, but 
all right, I'm up for it. I'm going to do it anyway, whether I want to or not. And that's, I think that's like, um, why that's such an important decision is because that's such a conscious, spiritual, awakened way to live that every decision is like, this is determining your life. 100%. This decision right now, right now. Yeah. Even to decide that to give someone themselves the freedom of like shaking it up, like an etch-a-sketch and creating a blank slate. That that's a decision. Wasn't that one bit of the advice that you gave Davina and one of right? something about, like that. about writing your story about every word that you speak and every is really um, every conversation, every question, every moment. It's just all the story, the movie of your life. And here we are making it. Yeah, man. That is why in moments like this, dude, I've got to tell you, um, I, 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 the one thing I think I, the one thing I'm proud that I do for myself, not for anybody else, but that I, I take moments to constantly check in and say, dude, this is it. We're doing it. Like Daniel, right now, this is like, you're sharing literally a part of your life with me. Um, we will never get this time back. Um, you're not with your family right now. I'm not with my family. Like to me, this is why this is epic. You know, like you're, you're an amazing person and you're a very wise person. It's just a joy to be around you with the questions you ask and the thoughts that you bring to the table. But dude, there's a part of what really makes this epic is like, holy shit, this is, this is our life, dude. We're, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's an amazing thought to me. It's, it, it seems like you're, re you're appreciating the recognition of the power of your choice. It's almost like you're seeing the genie in the bottle. This is how I'm <laughs> yeah. hearing what you're saying. You're seeing the genie in the bottle, just as I said that there's things in this room that I might not be seeing that are here, but yeah. you're seeing the, like the power of choice. Yeah. And especially what you are courageous enough to ask for yeah. and to speak about. Yeah. Um, I honor that. And on that note, Deanna texted me. I was, I was wanting to get the dog scratching. I might uh, take, we're at 45 minutes. Uh, maybe we'll take a five minute Perfect. Get the stove and whatever else and uh, do another 20 minutes or so if that Great. works for you. Perfect. Rasta. Great, thanks. Yep. Okay, we're back. Well, let's keep this under a creative constraint of 22 minutes. All right. I love using that. To me, that it, it kind of creates the tightrope to walk. I like it. Of the two different seemingly choices we always have. Are you watching the clock or am I? I have it right here. Okay. So on that, and right before we began, on that note, you said you did your fi first ayahuasca ceremony right before I pressed record. And that's been a theme. And I have not done an ayahuasca ceremony. Yeah. And Deanna is signed up to do one with Amber, whose office we're in currently yeah. in Costa Rica coming up. Yeah. Uh, are, do you, I would love to hear what you care to share and maybe even more of the scare or the daring part yeah well i'll tell you it's probably not as exciting as people are going to imagine but this is this show is all about the truth right <laughs> so it is what it is but um for me so there's the we did th there was options for three rounds of drinking the medicine and uh i did only round one and i say that because my experience in a very easy way of explaining it, and this is good from our time constraint because this isn't going to be a 30-minute answer, was like a very deep meditation, a very deep meditation. So I didn't have crazy visuals. I didn't have the dramatic stories that other people have shared with me about their experiences, but this was a very deep meditation. It was awesome. It was really great. The people that I was with, the, it was actually one of the best parts of the whole ceremony was that one of the leaders had offered a blessing right? Or a healing. And you could come up and you could work with the, the leader. And 
And ultimately that to me was one of the most beautiful moments was this woman was ultimately offering a blessing to me. And she, I sat right in front of her and for about 30 minutes or it felt like she talked to me, shared with me, blessed me. (laughs) And, And it was just this, she spoke beautiful words to me for 30 minutes. She's like, you're, there's abundance above you, below you, next to you, within you. Like she just spoke the most beautiful words. To me, that was an incredible experience. And I will tell you that the reason that I didn't do the second or the third round was that when I was younger, I had experimented with LSD and took way too much, freaked out and had a really bad experience. And so this, I went in feeling like this wasn't going to be my ego saying, I'm going to do all three rounds because I go all the way. I wanted to just trust my heart on this one. And that's where it led me. Ultimately, a very deep experience. um, And uh, I walked away feeling very comfortable with it all. So it didn't rip my soul apart. It wasn't anything like that for me. But I wonder what would have happened if I would have been round two or three. And so I'll probably find out eventually. Nice. And would you dare to share what happened during your LSD experience when you were younger? Oh, I I totally can. (laughs) So this would actually talk about firsts. I'm always interested in the firsts that my guests share on my podcast. Uh, This has never been shared um, on any podcast anywhere. In fact, I've never talked publicly about this. So this will be a first. Um, Yeah, what happened was I had experimented with it on a number of occasions with my friends. And it always was a enjoyable experience, always very interesting, right? So the the pictures that I would draw, the conversations we would have, the things we would see, things I would feel, <clears throat> they were always really interesting. And um, this one time uh, we had taken this, this little piece of paper was one hit. <clears throat> I took half of it, which was like a, you know, that was my suggested starting place. Then I took the other half about 45 minutes later, and it was about an hour and a half in. I didn't feel anything, and we thought it was bad. So in just a moment of being 18, I said, well, if it's bad, maybe if I take eight of these, I'll feel something. And then uh, I did. And somebody, I had said to my friend who was sitting on the couch across the room, I said, hey, throw me a cigarette. And... uh, but this is really interesting as I'm telling the story. I'm thinking this podcast has gone to front row dads <laughs> to my to my 18-year-old LSD story. Um, my friend said, I said to my friend, throw me a cigarette. And he threw it across the room. And I just saw trails coming off the cigarette. And that's when I got really worried. And then about 10 minutes later, the couch um, ate him. Like he absorbed into the couch and disappeared. Uh, and I started to really get a little concerned <laughs> about where this was going to go. And then I remember walking up to the door handle and I put my hand on the door and my hand completely started spinning. My, my entire hand started spinning around. And, and so it felt like what happened was I started to feel like I was truly losing grip with reality. Now, the crazy part, I'm going to tell you the full story. <laughs> the full story is that I, I ended up getting so freaked out that I told him to take me to the hospital. And he took me to the hospital and I remember trying to check myself in to say, I'm having this experience and I need help. And the, the woman was like, you need to fill out this clipboard, this wait, you know, and you need to grab a seat and, ha- and wait. And I was like, I don't think you understand what's happening to me. And finally, I got so paranoid, I ran. 
And I think that even like a security guard was chasing me and I ran. My buddy saw me run out of this hospital and then he went and he picked me up. This was my experience, ready? The rest of it was this. I could, I got into the car with him and it was the only place I felt safe was, was he was, if he was driving the car. So I asked my buddy to drive the car until I was done with the experience. And so he drove me for the next 10 hours. He just literally, he stopped for gas. I remember two or three times. And he just, he, I, he said, I, you said, John, you would not let me stop driving. Um, and that was it. And, and I, I felt grateful for my life the next day because I thought I was never coming back from reality. It was so, it was so intense, so radical that I thought I might not never come back down. Wow, yeah, that was a journey just listen, <laughs> just listening to it. So needless to say, when I went into the ay- ayahuasca experience, I was just more concerned. I was uh, I was more concerned. Um, yeah, that that's uh, you know what it it brings me to this point in my life when I was driving a car. Yeah. Um, which I imagine parents could probably resonate with, like thinking about their child driving a car for the first time, because I was crazy driving a car. And uh, oh. <laughs> I, I was so crazy, doing crazy things. And one day, I my physics teacher told us we couldn't take a curve, our bus lane curve, at 35 miles per hour. Like, what a crazy thing to even tell us, especially for someone that had something to prove other than yeah. grades on a test. Yeah. So I, we were doing this thing called white boy TV at this point. And I filmed myself, my, one of my best friend at that point was in the passenger side and he filmed me. We did 35. We did it on cruise control. And my mom's like souped up Lincoln LS. Like everyone <laughs> loved it at the school. And then the next time I was like, I was do 40. You know, no, stop. There was, I, I, at this point in my life, I had no, like you, the way you took those, you went from, you said you went from experimenting with parts of a little bit of an yeah. LSD piece of paper yeah. Every once in a while, to going to nine deep and one yeah, is yeah. that deep? eight? Yeah, it was eight. eight deep. So I somehow I think I had this mentality too with driving. Yeah, and fortunately, this happened at this point that I, yeah, my the brakes locked up. I learned about physics because that's what the, the judge later told me that I needed, right. that was part of the sentence to write a twenty-page yeah. paper about the physics of centripetal force. I uh yeah flipped the car the car just stop it couldn't stop in my for my control and it rolled down like a ravine like a cliff oh my god and and it was totaled and at that point I woke up to like oh my gosh like my choices have real uh, real consequences dude our stories are so similar in the sense that I when I was eight when I nineteen uh, ish I crashed my Supra around a turn that was fifteen miles an hour. <sighs> And people said that you, like, right? So this was a 90-degree hairpin turn, and I crashed the car into an electrical box. I knocked out the power in my parents' neighborhood, and I ran from the scene. And they put a warrant out for my arrest. Yeah. Where was this? This was in Virginia Beach. Wow. And I'll tell you. How old were you when that happened? I think I was 19 or 20. Wow, it must have been similar. Dude, I had this moment. A little younger. I had this moment with my dad, right? And I think about the power of what dads can say to their kids and how it can transform their lives. My dad said to me, he said, you know, the only difference between us having this conversation at our kitchen table and with you behind a jail cell is that somebody wasn't walking or driving down the opposite side of that street. That's it. Because if you would have hit them and killed them, we would have been talking from prison. And I had the same like, oh my gosh, my, my choices really affect other people. And I feel so grateful for those moments where you realize you're not the only one on the planet. You know? 
Yeah, and that, and that where I really felt the most convicted out of the whole thing, it was one thing like telling my parents what happened <laughs> over the phone. And there was a whole other thing seeing my friend Donald, his parents pick him up at the scene. I was just like, wow, I felt so wrong. Yeah. I felt so wrong. I was like, shit, ooh. Yeah. Like, everything's okay, but yeah, I, I basically just took your son down a cliff with me. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's, uh, all those experiences remind us of how quickly it all could end. And to me, it's, um, you know, I'm grateful for that. Do you ever think about uh, whether or not you, do you ever think about Davina's path and, like, you hope she doesn't have that experience, right? You, you hope that she doesn't, like, roll down a ravine in a car, but yet you walked away with such a valuable lesson from that. And I've had these crazy experiences in my life that I genuinely don't hope that my kids have. My hope is that they can learn from my experiences and not have to have them, you know, have that experience themselves. Um, but man, I really wrestle with that of like, hey, I hope my kids don't have a lot of adversity like that. And then I think how many times people do and walk away with the most beautiful lessons. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think for my the question about it, I think that um, the best thing that I can do, I believe, is really share it, like when it matters. Yeah. So if there's something where one of my past crazy stories matter, because Davina can relate to it, even if it's scary for me to express it, I get to share about my experiences, whether they're with driving fast or whether it's LSD, it maybe on the future radar, whatever it is that I can, um, I can accurately express what I experienced mm -hmm. in a non-dogmatic, biased way, but in like a loving way. Like that, here we are. We're both experiencing these. We're both cracks of light in a way, experiencing this human, this human lifetime. What's happening for you? Yeah, dude, you're really good at bringing back in the theme. I just want to honor you for that. Like your con your your ability to stay present to the cracks of light, and dude, that's amazing. Has have you always been able to do that? Is that is that is that a skill you work to develop, or is that? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's one of those things that I'm more intuitively drawn to, and it's been activated more and more as of late. Just noticing something, but not just noticing it and going like, "Oh, we read the the chapter or the poem." But like then to bring it back in, is that a question? Like, do you say, how can I bring this back in? Or does it just naturally come up for you? Does your brain tie it in? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So at one point when I was, re I was really in the flow recently, someone yeah. asked me, it was when I first met Hal, yeah. when I first met Hal and his lovely wife, Ursula. Ursula, yeah. Yeah. And the, Brandon was telling them like, oh, this is the reason he was telling Hal and Ursula, why everyone is here together? Yeah. And he's like, this is the reason, like you know, Daniel yeah, knows yeah. JP, I know this and this, and, and then like, oh, you're like the connector, and I was like, no, I'm like a spider. And I don't know why I said that, and I said it so boldly. I was like, I'm like a spider. <laughs> yeah. And I can relate with what you're saying. I do. I do think everything is connected. It's just a matter of like finding the points to create a nice a nice upward spiral rather than like a a downwards a downward cycle. Yeah. Yeah, and that seems to be based very much so with the what choice means. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun. I think awareness is like the best bet. 
Yeah, I want to know. <laughs> Awareness seems to be the best bet. Yeah, I want to know. I think about, um, you know, we started off this, started off a conversation today talking a lot about front row dads and the purpose behind that for me. And I will tell you that uh, one of the greatest things about front row dads for me is the guys that call me out, that literally bring awareness to things that I don't see. I don't remember who said it, but and it's probably been said by a bunch of people in a bunch of different ways, but I'll never forget somebody saying, John, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. You know, and you need people in your life that can, from the outside, look in and say, hey, something I notice. My buddy John Kane and I, I love this guy, man. We're best friends in the world. He's, we used to play this game where we'd sit down and say, what are three things you love about me and three things that you might change if you could? <laughs> Basically saying, "What's a, you know, what do you notice about me that maybe other people don't have the courage to tell me? And we wanted to know, right? I wanted to, I wanted to have the awareness is the point. Not too long ago, man, my buddy sat down and I'll never forget, a great guy, um, actually lives next door to Tim, uh, to Hal. <laughs> His name's Tim. And he, he I said, uh, I said what, what makes a good friend? Or maybe he asked me the question. Either way, it came up, what, what makes a good friend? And we were like, honesty. It's the buddy that'll tell you things that nobody else wants to tell you. And I said, tell me something nobody wants to tell me. And he said, hey, man, he says, uh, you know, you, you, you want to be a great dad. You talk about being a great dad. But he goes, I think there's areas there that you can still improve. And here's a couple of them, right? Like, here's some things. And dude, that was one of the most profound lunch meetings because he brought awareness to something for me that I didn't presently have. So I crave that, man. I don't. I love the high fives. I love the you rocks. But you know what? I I really want, man. I want friendships where people are like, let me tell you the thing that that other people aren't going to tell you. I love that. That's what I crave, man. You know, my greatest fear, Daniel, is getting to the end of my life, looking back and saying I was sleepwalking the whole time. I wasn't awake for this experience. That's a that's a great fear, and I know it's going to happen along the way, right? But like, if I get to sixty and I learn something, and I'm like. I can't believe I didn't know that at 43. I'm so crushed. I know that's going to happen because you can't know everything. But what do you that, think about that, all that? That hide and seek game again. Yeah. It's, it's good to be aware that we're playing both roles at all times. And <laughs> your buddy, Tim. Tim. Tim Nikolaev. Tim Nikolaev. Yeah. I, I was wondering if it was Tim Ferriss for some reason. No. The way you said it, I was like, that, that, <laughs> Tim Ferriss is highly praised around these parts. And I, I, I like uh, Tim Ferriss, for sure. I'm excited to meet him. That's he's, he's earned it. He has. He's pioneered. A, I think he's pioneered a reality that time is uh, m- more valuable than money. And, yeah. and recontextualize how to make money yeah. effectively. And then I think um, what... I think what we're bringing awareness to, especially if I was going to say both of us together, is that what to do with that time to make it the most most rich. Yeah. And if you're a dad, it seems like for you, it's came in the action of being with your children. That's right. Prioritizing. Yeah. Being with your children. Being your best. Yeah. I like that. And the, and then that comes along with a high standard that you don't think you're maybe not following up to your own standard and you want to be held accountable with doing that. You need it. Yeah. I crave that. Yeah. That's exactly why we need the brotherhood. That's why we need these guys to get together and to have conversations and talk about the things that are difficult. It's good to have it's good to have permission also, you know, in conversations and places in our lives to become more aware. I think that's to to use a term that I've heard my wife say recently is this container, you know, to look at where do we create containers in our lives that allow for that awareness to emerge. And so 
when we wrote the Front Row Factor book, one of the things that we were studying was, well, what is it that somebody else knows about living life to the fullest, perhaps because they're facing the end, right, or having that conversation? And we realized there were three, there were three things, three areas of focus, which I referenced earlier, this hope for the future. How does, the, how does hope, um, which is very different than wishful thinking, because hope brings the power of possibility into the present moment. Right? If I'm hopeful to uh, stand for the national anthem at the game coming up, then I'll work harder in physical therapy today. That's hope at, at work, right? And then there's celebration, looking back, and how do we bring the power of past moments into this one? And then we learned about the power of presence and how do we consciously create experience and celebrate the meaningful moments of life. And then what we started to find was that not only were our recipients tapping into those three things, which were helping them, right, helping us all, hope, celebration, and presence, the core values of the front row, but the, the, what we also noticed was that how they did it, how they actually carried it out was three things. It was the, the mindset, the questions they were asking. It was the relationships they had. And it was the environments they were putting themselves in. And so I think about that environment piece about being that container. And when we nail, all, when we nail those things, I think that's where we find awakened states. Rasta, that seems like a great formula. I'm happy that you have cultivated this. And you say we, who is we? All right, just the front row. I call it the front row family. So this collective group of people who are looking to make moments matter. You know, so how do we, we wanted to create a charity, by the way, if we're talking about that for a quick second, that was like Make-A-Wish meets Tony Robbins. But we didn't think that existed yet. Because a lot of the wish organizations want to help it, you know, for a day or a moment, which is great, right? That's awesome. We, it's wonderful. But we wanted to create a community afterwards that helped him create lots of moments. And, uh, and so that was, the, that was the difference that we were trying to make. And ultimately, at the end, we thought we were going to teach them, but they've taught us. <laughs> and, and you're saying, is that still going on there right now? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. And what's the best way to learn more about that? Well, everything's at frontrowfactor.com. Okay, That's front kind of the main factor. hub. But, nice. Uh, yeah. Nice. So charity, dad stuff, all of it's over there. Nice. Man. Dude, I got to ask you a question. What what does fatherhood mean to you? What is the real purpose of being a dad for you? Oh. Yeah, I think it's that realization that although I have my individual, like my the power of the individual choice that we've been celebrating for most of this connection, that um, I'm also connected to everything else. And that uh, Davina, my daughter, is a celebration of that. And if that seems to be something to prioritize, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. If I'm not prioritizing my daughter, or my mother, or myself, or my brother, or even my friend, or even my enemy, man, what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what about what about um, marriage? Like what's your what do you think is the purpose of that uh, for you? Um, very similar resonance and the um, definitely awakening the power of commitment, mm -hmm. especially yeah. the power of commitment. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, yeah, commitment based on choice. Yeah, you know, a daughter is commitment based on. Not only choice, and there is a reality of biological, genetic, and you're genetically yeah. responsible. Yeah. The choice of marriage, yeah, commitment's a big thing. Because I guess we'll never know 
the true power of it. Yeah. If someone's truly committed, they'll never, that's like the risk that one takes. Yeah. You know, when I, when I was given speeches in the college market years and years ago, I used to talk about what real commitment was. And I talked about commitment to your goals. And for me, the, 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 the example that I used for myself was I called it the billion dollar in gun test about how committed you really were. Like if somebody offered a billion dollars or if you weren't motivated by money, let's say a billion lives saved around the world, if you did something differently in your relationship or whatever it was that you wanted, your level of commitment to that thing, would it change if, if such a prize were on the line? You know, as a test for myself, like I say I'm committed to my wife or I, do, I show up 100% as a, as a father, but I go, if somebody were measuring it um, and, and somehow there was a higher level and that there was a prize at the end of the road for it, would I find a deeper level of commitment for such a prize? Like, could that exist, right? And then I thought the grand, um, the, the other side of that is the pain. So like uh, I used to say, you know, if you, how committed are you really to someone, something, some project, some mission? If somebody were to threaten my, my my son's life, you know, unless I was uh, to to truly demonstrate what a hundred percent commitment looked like, and uh, and and somehow they knew that if I was playing at a hundred percent or not, like how how differently would I show up if there was such a consequence to my lack of commitment? And uh, what if I were to sit down and truly evaluate if some higher being could actually know what a hundred percent looked like, would I be there? If such benefits or consequences were on the line. And that really got me thinking about what commitment was about. And I genuinely, at the end of the day, I think I'm not that committed after all that. <laughs> well, you, just even, I hear you. I hear you know you. what I mean? Like, well, and the commitment of the, like the creative constraint of marriage till death does us part, I believe are in most people's vows. Yeah. Um, uh, rather than being that that making the main thing, just something about that commitment. There's maybe times if I was just like dating my wife, I'm not sure if I would have got to experience the beyond my understanding connection with her without that commitment of marriage. Yeah, because we were you know riding waves. Yeah, and then you guys have challenges, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, my wife and I never challenges. I'm, I'm I'm a wordsmith. <laughs> I'm like challenges. Yeah, challenges. Challenges are good. Yeah. Challenges are chosen. Challenges are conscious. Challenges is what make muscles grow, literally and metaphorically. I choose to work out. I choose to work in. Choose to play out. Choose to play in. And on that note, it's been a great time playing in with you. We're Dude, two thanks, minutes man. beyond our creative constraint. I honor that. We bend the rules and break normal. Thanks, man. It's been fun. Thank you. Appreciate it, Dave. This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Okay, I'm going to make this outro ubiquitous for the first 12 episodes. And it's basically me taking my own advice, walking my talk, and asking for what I want without being attached to getting it. And that's a, a review on this podcast. A review on the Breaking Normal book, whether it's on Amazon or Audible. For y'all to start Breaking Normal, let me know what it does for you. This is a big expression of my heart and soul. And it's another iteration of self-acceptance through self-expression. And I do believe that what's most personal is most universal. It's a great guiding light for how to communicate with one another. So if this added value to your life, and even if you think it didn't, let me know through a review. And uh, don't forget about that. 
we're going to be giving away a free tribe design to someone that leaves a review on the podcast. So go to breakingnormal.com and check out the podcast section and uh, be eligible to win, to take action at least putting yourself in a position to win this prize. And maybe this will be a big symbolic step. Like one small step here may take a giant leap for the rest of your life to put yourself in the opportunity to win, which also puts you in the self in the opportunity not to win, which is... Both are a win, in my opinion. So let's tap into that vibration of winfinity and join us on that journey and keep breaking normal and stay in touch and be sure to ask for what you want without being attached to getting it to the people that would matter the most. And if that's to me, reach out to me. Let's do it. I'm excited to hear about it. Much love to you all. I look forward to exploring this infinite, evolving adventure out loud, authentically, synergistically, alchemically, and in respect to the divine. God bless.